I'm Nick Turzo, and this is The Radical. This week's guest defines a legend and is one of the great rock vocalists of a generation. She and her band broke many barriers and charted over 20 top 40 hits. Through the decades, the band has continued to iterate and find their true authenticity. With multiple Grammy nominations and other awards, she has always exemplified that females can be badass rockers too. In addition, the Seattle of the 90s greatly benefited from her example, sage wisdom, and mentoring. I'm thrilled to have this conversation with Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and heart singer, Ann Wilson. She and I will dive into the lows and the highs of sustaining a career over four decades. Coming up, my fascinating chat with Ann Wilson. Ann Wilson, welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's more my honor than you even understand, I think. So um, how are you adjusting to life not on a tour bus? Um, it took some doing, let me tell you, and I, uh, because I've lived so much of my life in motion. Um, this last year has been a real, a real change, deep change and uh, super challenge. Uh, but I'm adjusting, I think, you know, I mean, I, I just realized about six months ago that you can't just write it. You have to do something, you know. So I started writing songs and keeping really busy and um, reading and, you know, things you don't have time to do when you're That's on right. tour bus. Um, have you done any of this? I mean, have you been caught up into the the live streaming world very much or not? Too I much? have not been that much. I'm such an organic performer. Um, that it's really not, I don't know, my thing, when I get on stage, it's all about the interaction with the audience who are actually right there with you. So I've had a hard time getting any kind of a thrill out of live streams. Makes perfect sense. So, um, and you did just release a new song called Tenderheart, yes? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. It's... um, And did you, are you the... Did you write it? I did. And yes, I am the tender heart. <laughs> and, uh, not only a song about breakup, it's a broken heart. It's a song about uh, the struggle between romance and reality. Yeah. When I listened to it, I kind of applied it to kind of the whole universal world right now. It's funny because it's a personal song for you, mm-hmm. but it felt so applicable to our current world environment um absolutely on top of the fact that your your vocal performance is just stunning again well thank you very much i think yeah i think that without that larger a larger universal type meaning i think the song it's much more than than just about a heartbreak you know it's it's way more about what we're going through as a uh, race right now i think reality yeah definitely felt more of a yeah collective kind of role in this um 
which is nice that it can translate to to both. Yeah, Universal is good. Yes, it is. And then last year you kind of did, did you do like a cover of a Steve Earle song? Was that kind of more an election kind of thing around what was going on? Or Well, I think that, yeah, the run up to the election, I guess about the six months or so before the election, things got so heated and so stressful and chaotic. And um, it was like this pig pile of all this conflicting emotions that that all sides were feeling. And uh, it struck me that I'd never in my lifetime seen our culture be so polarized. It was just ridiculous. It's like we we didn't even know each other anymore. And uh, so I thought that the Steve Earle song, which I've always loved, was right for that moment. It's a call for unity and it's a call for can we get out of this mess we're in and think higher? Can we just transcend for a minute and remember ourselves, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that song's called the revolution starts now, right? Yes. That's the Steve Earle yeah. song. Yeah. No. And he did another lovely, another lovely performance oh, for sure. Thank you. Um, can I ask you, I mean, spend years as a writer and an artist, um, like what really, and you know, you have to balance being a mom. I think it's a little, sometimes a little more challenging for female artists um, to do all that. But how have you remained so vectored and so creative? And um, what's that determination and kind of drive toward that? Well, all I can say really is that I was born this way. And, and uh, it's, it's just something that surfaced in me as a child. It started out with, like, say I liked a, a movie or something, I would just submerge in it and just, there's never any halfway with me. I had to just go into it head over heels and stay in it and work it and work it and live it. So when I got to the point of wanting to be a musician, same thing happened. And, uh, you know, I just felt driven and drawn. It's instinctive with me. And people say art kind of is like a, I don't know, they kind of say, they say you grab everything around you to kind of make your own art, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And like, I'm not talking about copyright infringement. I'm talking just about all know. different mediums and <laughs> Right, things. yeah. Um, although these days, with so much uh, super saturation of songs and ideas and music out there, so hard not to not to have taken uh, in someone else's idea through osmosis. There's so much you can do with 13 tones, you know? It's really true. Um, and you feel like talking of your childhood and stuff, since this is so ingrained, is kind of having been raised kind of more in an army family where you kind of moved around a bit as, a, as kids. Um, does that lend itself to the rock and roll nomadic lifestyle? Yes, I know it does now. My dad was in the Marine Corps and, and we... Uh, we were moving around like maybe at the least every two years. Um, so we were always the new kids in school. We never had time to really make deep friendships. You know, uh, we lived in Taiwan and all over the place, East coast, West coast, everywhere. And so the family became our universe. And, um, so, so inside of our family, that's where our stability was. 
so that just naturally fed over into Nancy and I going out and doing this thing together. We were kids and one minute we were playing dolls in our room. And then the next minute we were playing with horse statues and then we were playing with guitars. And then, you know, it just sort of morphed. Yeah, do, you, do you ever perceive your contribution? I mean, how do you perceive your kind of legacy and your contributions? I mean, did you ever think, oh, we're women breaking down this wall of rock and roll? I mean, or that just wasn't even factored in. It was just like, we're making yeah, music. Yeah, you know, make it, like I never um, once, especially in the early years, like when I was 16, 17, starting into music and being in bands, I never once had the... Um, the objectivity, you know, to go like, whoa, I'm a woman, you know, break, kicking in the glass door, you know, uh, it just didn't exist like that back then. Anyway, I felt sort of, um, I didn't feel like a girl or a boy. I felt like a musician, you know? So, so yeah. Um, do you feel you were treated that way by by like uh, labels and and you know radio stations back then? No, I felt that especially back then they didn't share my uh, <laughs> that kind of thinking. They just saw me as a chick, you know. And uh all the rules of the day applied when you dealt with chicks which were there's this kind of deep-seated sexism and um indirect misogyny just you know it's taken a long time to just get through that and leave it where um i mean other people are just kind of leaving that on the side of the road and looking at what's really there right no absolutely um and did you um i mean look you've done many iterations right with the band itself um i don't know what the current iteration is um as far as players and such, but between that different record companies, I mean, did you ever felt like at some point you kind of lost kind of your way? I mean, cause it was just too much kind of change going on. Well, that's, that's a really interesting question because to say that you would keep a hold of a situation and lose your grasp on it because you're changing is confusing to me because everything is always changing. And that includes the band, our bodies, everything. Constant state of change. So no, I never felt like I was losing losing track of some kind of it. I've always been kind of like always pushing it out. And um, every iteration of the band that I've been involved in, I've been completely into it's it's frustrating when some people can't let go of the first lineup of heart, you know, for instance, because that's the one that was going when they first heard Magic Man or when they were they first met their husband or their they were in their mother's belly or something like that, you know. I heard crazy on you, and so that's the band I want you to be in. Um uh yeah, that's that's frustrating because it's been 40 years of different iterations that have all been good. Yeah, for sure. I think you've evolved nicely and, you know, I think people don't understand, you know, your influence or your, um, 
what would I say? Uh, influence, is that maybe the word? In Seattle, you know, with the young bands in the 90s, when I first met you, um, you know, kind of what you meant to that community as a guide, um, as an example. Um, I call you the grunge godmother. Yeah. It's my own thing. But, um, you know, you were so good to all those bands and they really respected you. And I think that's such a statement about you know, both your skills as an artist and uh, you as a person. And because generationally, you know, you might not see that happen. Right. Um, totally not. Um, uh, you know, I think on the topic of the grunge, so-called grunge era in Seattle, they hated that name. But um, during the 90s in Seattle, I think the thing that they the biggest gift that I gave them personally is that I was a front person who stayed alive. <laughs> you know, I didn't succumb to drugs or suicide or OD or whatever, you know, I just kind of stayed alive and just dealt with it. Um, nothing, nothing against the people who passed or their families or, or anything like that. But, you know, when you see somebody just go through all this hard stuff and, then come out the other end of it and still be in one piece. I mean, that's life affirming stuff. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, we both saw enough tragedy come out of uh, that city. Oh, yes. Um, it's been, it's, it's been very painful. It's you know. the weather. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say that as only the weather. <laughs> well, people very much resemble the environment they live in. And in Seattle, you've got gray, overcast dreariness for nine or 10 months out of the year. Um, it's, it's always just kind of drizzling. And uh, I think that that's not the only reason, but there's a lot of depressed people there and everyone using happy lights and all that. Um, I'm not really joking when I say it's the weather. Right. No, that makes sense. Makes sense. And I mean, for all you gave, um, do you think being there during that time and being around these artists, I mean, did that infuse anything you were doing? Um, did you get to take away? I know you did some collaborations with certain guys um, in the 90s or the late 90s. Um, what did you take away as an artist from watching these young, new movement, whatever it was called? Yeah. Um, yeah, I took away... The idea of edge, you know, I mean, the, the feeling of it's not only okay, but it's healthy to completely bitch about stuff in your songs. Just let it out, you know, and, and just if you're going to give someone the finger, just do it, you know. Don't suppress it. I like their whole culture of non-suppress or non repression yeah they were definitely somewhat contrarian yes. um, in that way yeah you um, think and did that like stand in <laughs> did that stand in contrast to like kind of where you guys were as a band at that point you know because you started bringing in songs from you know kelly and steinberg and right. you know, bernie top and martin page and yeah so did that kind of reset you guys in a way creatively yeah i think that by the time we got back to seattle after the 80s the big you know, alone and these dreams era was grinding to an end. And we came back to Seattle. Um, we, 
had wound down off of that and we were back at ground zero. And so that kind of energy and intensity really was inspiring for me to get up again. It's kind of like surfing. I always say that the music industry is so much like surfing. You, you catch a wave and if you can, you ride it all the way in, but then you got to go catch another one. You know, it's, you don't just set it and forget it. Right. Well, you're world-class then, if that's uh, <laughs> how you see it. You're a world-class surfer. Thank you. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so how do you like, and in the current world, like where so much is kind of put on an artist now around, you know, social media, you know, we talked about live streaming, you know, all these things that kind of distract from you really focusing on your ability as an artist or to focus on songwriting. It seems like there's so much more asked now. Yeah. Uh, here you are on my podcast, for instance. There's more asked of you guys these days than there used to be. Um, how do you deal with that? Are you enjoying social media? Do you find uh, positives from it? Yeah, I do. Um, it really gives you, gives a person an artist, a really good outlet to deal more directly with people uh, who are, who are listeners and um, watchers in the past. Like when I started in the 1970s, the only um, venue was radio and albums. And then in the eighties, here comes MTV. So suddenly you're being asked to sound good and, uh, be really cool and look amazing and be a dancer, maybe and be an actor. And then, so now it's more like uh, all those things aren't filtered through those filters anymore. You can go directly to people. You don't have to make a video and then give it to the record company and they look at it and maybe shake their head or maybe nod their head. And then it gets out with their changes, you know, now it's very direct. I like that a lot. Yeah. You guys own the distribution now, which is kind of great. Yeah. And I've noticed on um, Instagram, maybe you can speak to this. What is this ask Ann thing that I've saw oh. pop up? What is that? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I want to know about yeah. that. I want to ask you. <laughs> Remember dear Abby and Ann Landers and all those, those um, E. Jean Carroll. Yes. Well, that's what I'm going to launch. I'm uh, I'm just going to give people advice if they care to ask, because at my advanced age, I think I've gathered some, some insights. So, so, uh, you know, and I love to just give advice and talk to people, give them my perspective on things. I just hope that um, it's more than just asking questions about hard or asking questions about rock stuff. What I like is for people to ask me questions about their lives, stuff that they want another um, perspective on. All right. Will this be on Instagram or where are you doing it? Across social media, Instagram, Facebook. All platforms. Yeah. And, and uh, that's awesome. And when, when is your first one? When's it, when's it launching? I think it's, uh, let's see. Uh, I'd have to look at the th thing again. It's within the, the week, I think. And uh, okay. And we're just going to. So it'll be launched when we do right, this. Yeah, yeah. So. And we're just going to get. When this show publishes. Yeah, we're going to gather okay. the first batch of questions and I'll go through them and I'll answer 
the ones that I am most inspired by, put them out. I love that. I would love to hear advice from you. Okay, well, ask me something. Anything. I'm going to ask you because I'm going to ask you a question. So. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I'm not going to be the first first person. So um, I get to ask the questions today. So I'm going to ask another question. Um, was there like in your career arc, and I'm sure there was, and over the decades, um, like a real seminal kind of radical moment um, that could have taken you in either direction, um, or maybe it did take you in one of them, or let's say. Uh, good or bad, yes. um, that really would have changed the course of your career or did? Yes. Um, and that moment was in 2015. Uh, actually, it was in 2014 when I met the man who became my husband. And um, for the first time, I was hanging tightly with someone who didn't really give a damn about heart. And who didn't see me as, as Ann Wilson of heart, you know? Um, and we got so tight and it was the first time I was ever able to just step out of that suit of clothes and just stand there vulnerable with someone. And he really encouraged me to write songs on my own and maybe do like a little solo acoustic tour just by myself. At that moment, Hart was kind of, back in 14, Hart was sort of on this treadmill of, you know, shed shows and then make an album and then shed shows and make an album. And I didn't feel that I was doing anything creatively. I felt I was just sort of writing it down, you know. And so he saw it. My husband saw that, Dean, and said, well, you know, you could do something else <laughs> besides that, like just for a while, you, you could go out and you could do your own thing and see where it takes you. So um, we formed this little group, little like funky group called the Ann Wilson thing and uh, or taught as we call it and um, went out and played little clubs. I, I just hired a band of musos I knew and we just went out and did stuff under the radar, real cheap, hardly got paid anything, had to pay to play a lot of time. Which is unusual because when when Hart gets paid like hundreds of thousands of bucks and then the next night Ann Wilson of Hart gets gets or taught the Ann Wilson thing gets has to pay to play. I mean, you see the disparity there. Yes. <laughs> but actually it turned out to be the most fulfilling and creative thing and life giving thing to me as an artist that I'd done ever. And that led to me um, coming back to heart in later years and actually being way more awake and way more in touch with who I was. So I think that was a really good life-changing moment. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I know it's such a jolt, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Wait a minute. Maybe this isn't such a good idea, but right, um, yeah. I mean, for the fans, it had to be fantastic just to see you in a setting like that. I mean, yeah, but there were a lot of awesome. There were a lot of people around Heart that were going, "Don't do that! Don't do that! You're gonna take the spotlight off of Heart, you know, and it's just gonna sort of dilute everything that we worked for." And, and that didn't happen because the two uh, the 2019 tour of Heart was the biggest one ever in terms of um, crowds and success and reviews and everything. So 
It was great. Well, I, I think people are more, you know, as fans or music fans, I think they're more pliable, um, you know, with different iterations of, you know, you guys doing solo, yeah. doing the band. I, I don't think it's that I think they are crushing too. and it proved yeah. it wasn't. So. I think they are too. And it gives them more stuff to line up with. Like some, some people liked Nancy's Roadcase Royale and some people liked the Ann Wilson thing. And they didn't fight among themselves, but they they felt which one they liked the best. And then when heart comes, they all get together. You know, it's it's actually a cool thing. It gives them more stuff to right. contemplate. So, well, and I have to ask you, and I know you've addressed this before, but I'm just curious. I mean, when you did the Kennedy Center Honors with the Led Zeppelin with Stairway to Heaven, I mean, what was that? And I know you've probably spoken about this, and I hate to bring up something from that far back, but. Um, I just thought the performance was just so stunning, um, regardless of Led Zeppelin's reaction, which is lovely. I'm sure Yeah, it floored them too. It did. Um, what, were, what was that like for you? I mean, what, I mean, you had to be a bundle of nerves. How do you do that? Yeah, well, well that, that, that night I still, when I look back on that, it, it was kind of like I see it through this kind of gla- dreamlike glaze. Ouch. She's, I'm sorry, one of the puppies is biting my foot. Oh, careful. That's all good. Yeah, like I look back on the Kennedy Center honors and I, it's dreamlike. And and um, I remember being kind of overwhelmed backstage because uh, of who all was, was running around back there. Les Zeppelin was only one of the people being honored that night. There was D- uh, Dustin Hoffman and Buddy Guy and... Um, all kinds of people being honored. So all these luminaries who were taking part in those, those tributes were running around backstage. And, you know, you just run into Yo-Yo Ma, you run into David Letterman, you run into, you know, Stephen Colbert, and you go and you meet the Obamas and all this stuff. And so it's just like really a big, overwhelming thing. But then when it came time to actually go on stage, I think that the only nerves I had were, probably in the first 10 minutes before we actually walked on. And thank goodness I caught myself and went, no, 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 no. We're not going to, this isn't about you. You know, this isn't about me. This is about them. So don't, (laughs) don't get carried away with nerves. So I just kind of tried to focus and use some of my entry level meditational techniques and just sort of chill and then wait till after the performance and then freak out, which both Nancy and I did, <laughs> but it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful, I mean, was it? Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. You were, I mean, you definitely um, go ahead. The arrangement, the production was thrilling to be a part of. It was like a cast of thousands and um, everything just went smooth. We only had like a couple of hours rehearsal the day before and then, earlier that day and we've been to the white house and all this kind of stuff the same day. So it was by the time we actually got on stage and we're doing it, I think I was wide open to it and just really floating on this kind of warm bath of how beautiful that song is. Um, yeah, I'll never forget it. It, it was a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's a challenge to come out. Um, unlike your own shows where there's that energy the minute you guys come out, is it a little different to be in a room like that where it's probably a little quiet at the beginning? Yes. Um, does that unnerve you or you were just, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It didn't unnerve me, but because I was like, I've sung in choirs before and I've sung um, in situations that were more classical. So I just took it like that. This is a legit house. This is like an opera house. This is not a rock venue, you know, and uh, just sort of take a hold and control the moment and then just let it flow. It was beautiful. That it was. I think that's maybe even an understatement. So um, for sure. Well, And uh, we um, had like, what, seven minutes up there. So the seven minutes that seems like a lifetime, you know, <laughs> anyway. For those type of shows, those seven minutes almost is a lifetime, yes. right? Because yeah. most performances are like three minutes. And they actually edited, um, edited one of the verses out of Stairway to Heaven because it, it was going to be on TV and they had timed it by a stopwatch. This is how much time we have for Stairway to Heaven. And then we got to go to a commercial, you know, so unbelievable Unbelievable. so um so is there anything right now that i mean do you still listen to a lot of music Uh, do you try to stay kind of up to speed are there things you really like right now that you've heard well the stuff i listen to at home isn't much like what's being played on spotify or on popular music platforms um like i'm way into music from uh, uh, across all eras and I'm into world music and I'm into Robert Fripp and um, mouth music and like different kind of spiritual, I mean, Indian spiritual type drone music. Uh, I love Buena Vista Social Club, you know, I mean, it's just all different kinds of things. Daniel Castro, Mm. Chris Whitley. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, Chris Whitley. Good old Chris Whitley. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask, I mean, it's an honor. You guys actually got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We all know that's like uh, threading a needle yeah. uh, for sure for yeah. any artist. Um, it is. Um, what did that mean? What did that mean to you? I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I would assume you know, some of the meaning that's going out and I think some of the Grammys are with this next generation, but what did that mean to you as an artist? Well, as an artist, it, uh, I think that's what meant the most that I would be, that we would be, um, uh, we'd be honored for our contribution creatively. If it was just how many records had been sold or, how many years you've managed to stay alive and show up at gigs. That's not that meaningful. Um, But it's kind of like getting a PhD in a way or getting some kind of degree where, you know, you've actually contributed something original to the culture. And that's, that's what it meant to me. So, yeah, I was honored at first. I thought like some of the, like some of the other punks that have been inducted into the rock hall, I thought, yeah, the man, I don't give a sh- I don't care about this at all, you know. But then I got up there and it was quite an honor. Yeah. Showing your Seattle side there for a minute. Watch out. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what's upcoming for you, like musically? Like, what can we expect? Is there, 
tours coming once this ends? Is there new solo music? What's up for you? Both, all of the above. Um, Heart is, uh, we've got this big offer on the table to go out and do a heart tour as soon as it's possible to do tours. Um, So that's a reality. Um, But who knows? It's when, you know. Because I, for one, wouldn't want to be responsible to jump the gun and conduct some kind of super spreader tour. So that's where that is. Right. And um, personally, I've been writing songs the last six or eight months, and I've got a bunch of songs. I've, I've already recorded four of them, and I'm going down to Muscle Shoals here in a few weeks to record four more. And uh, then after those are ready, I'm going to just drop them one by one. And then over the next year. And so by the time the year is done and we're all still in quarantine here, um, I may have enough for some kind of compilation and I'll put that out. But I'm not interested in just like banging together an album now and ramming it down people's throats. You know, I want to just one by one, give them a chance to sample each each song individually. So you've adapted to this uh, track by track thing. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Mm. Yeah, I would think it'd be more interesting than working, you know, the old traditional way where you worked six months on a record or whatever, and then you had to wait and the record company three months to put it out. And you could never get any real feedback as a, an artist for maybe like a year later. No, it's the, um, it's the- from fans. Right. It's the so. great, um, the great information black hole that happens. You spend like several months making an album, you pour all this money into it. The huge advances just get spent making those records and all the, the people eating food at the studio and the, the cars and transport studio and all the expenses that eat up all that money, which is all recoupable, right? And then you put out the album and crickets you know <laughs> you don't hear anything and it it goes into the record company's world and um they decide which song they as a group think will hit people the best and most of the time they're wrong because they're in such a bubble and disconnected from people that they don't know so there goes your album you know <laughs> You put it in somebody else's hands and they misuse it and it's all over. So I like the more direct approach myself. Mm. I mean, are you guys still as a band? I mean, do you still have like a label arrangement or do you just do it album by album now? Or how do you guys work? We do it album by album. And uh, the my two solo albums have been on two different record labels. And uh, the last Heart record, yeah, was on a different label. So, you know, most record companies, most record companies, I think now, unless you're hip hop or pop, that's how they do it. They don't want to take a big, long chance. You know, they they just want to see what you can do one by one. Right. Yeah. Well, it's not like you don't have a resume. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not an 18 year old, but, you know, guys, come on. Right, yeah. You don't have to take such cautious chances here. Yeah. Hey, why can't you do more songs like the ones in your resume? <laughs> <laughs> Boring. Yeah. So, okay. Well, 
I'm going to wrap up. I thank you so much. I always um, am grateful to you because in the early part of my career with Allison Chains and you were kind of part of that uh, world with us up yeah. there. Um, yeah, definitely. And you always made me feel welcome. Um, and uh, I'm always going to be grateful to that because I think the world of you as a person and as an artist. Well, so. thank you. Thank you. Those guys are my brothers. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad that I could somehow help you did be a force you've helped many great well thank you my pleasure thank you and okay i'll talk to you soon okay thank you hey everybody thanks for listening this week to follow what's going on with this podcast you can go to the radicalpod.com the radicalpod.com you'll find show notes and past episodes and uh, even a little swag there if you want a t-shirt or a hat i would be honored if you'd subscribe at apple or spotify or wherever you get your podcasts till next week